Kale Clark here. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out Charity Mobile and prayerfully consider making them your wireless carrier. Mention offer code relevant radio and get a free phone. Don't delay. CharityMobile.com. That's CharityMobile.com. Hi, this is Kale Clark. Welcome back to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio mobile app. We're studying St. Paul's letter to the Romans, the greatest letter of all time. And it's so crucial that we understand his argument here again in chapter one. St. Paul is essentially saying that when people suppress God, when people walk away from God, when people push down their conscience, it's not that they don't believe in anything anymore. They'll believe in everything. And so what happens essentially is that the refusal to worship God does not lead to uh, some sort of a, if there ever could be an actual atheistic lifestyle, because people always worship something or someone. We are worshiping creatures by nature. At the end of the day, ultimately, people wind up worshiping themselves. And so rejecting God leads to inexorably idolatry, and idolatry leads to immorality. So let's once again just read the section in question that we're that we're talking about. We'll finish up chapter 1 today. So let's pick it up at verse 18 of Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, His invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man or birds or animals or reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in their own persons the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a base mind and to improper conduct. They were filled with all manner of wickedness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malignity. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who do such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but approve those who practice them. So this is a just a withering account of the bleakness of human sin, the, the depths of depravity that people can sink into without God. And so we, we kind of left it off here in uh, verses 21 and 22 here, 
when it says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And, and this, we talked about how one of the primary responsibilities we have towards God is thanksgiving. But they became futile in their thinking, their senseless minds were darkened. And then something even worse begins to happen. They completely lose touch with reality. And th this is the idea of their senseless minds were darkened. Uh, Cardinal Collins, who, who was a guest on, on the Kale Clark show recently on Relevant Radio, is very stringent in talking about the fact that human beings have lost touch completely with reality. They're living in, in kind of a, a dream world, fantasy land. Uh, one writer in a recent book uh, titled his work, Revolt Against Reality, uh, talking about the many um, uh, destructive tendencies uh, of the modern culture. And it's a little bit like Pharaoh hardening his heart in the book of Exodus. When he, when he rejected Moses and saying, let my people go, his heart just kept getting harder and harder. And people argue, theologians will fight about whether he was hardening his own heart or, or God was hardening his heart. But at the end of the day, the more he said no, the more he kept saying no. And kind of this, this callus, this thick scab, if you will, formed over his heart. He had completely lost touch with reality. Couldn't see the truth about God anymore. And this is essentially that the heart of idolatry. If you look at uh, verses 22 and 23 of, of Romans 1, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man or birds or animals or reptiles. So you might say, who, who on earth would do this? <laughs> Um, but in fact, it, Jews and Greeks both did this, uh, the people of God and pagans as well. Now, clearly Paul's thinking here that chapter one, this first part of, of chapter one here is really directed towards the pagan world. Uh, you know, there's a lot of pagans in Rome for sure. And in the, the Greek pantheon of gods and the Romans kind of appropriate a lot of these gods, they, they, they sort of worshipped these false gods in human form, like Zeus or Mars, Ares, the god of war. And the first Wonder Woman movie with Gal Gadot uh, kind of had a take on this. It was kind of an interesting film. And so I want to spoil it for you. But but the Egyptians, obviously the, the Israelites having escaped out of Egypt in the Exodus, they escaped this culture where their gods were, they didn't take human form, but they actually worshipped animals. That, that they considered to be divine. And that went all the way from frogs all the way to the golden calf. And so a lot of these plagues that God sends on the Egyptians are essentially a direct attack on their false gods, the plague of frogs, uh, the, the death of the livestock. And we're going to see more of this in, in the next chapter, but uh, Paul is already setting things up for, for he's going to say, okay, you guys think the pagans are bad. Well, the people of God, Israel, they've done some of the same stuff. In verse 23, he says they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds or animals or reptiles. And he's talking about pagans, but the, but the Jews did this too. And Paul knows this. In fact, it's kind of a, a reference here that he's giving to Psalm 106, verse 20. It says they exchanged the glory of God. He uses that same language. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. And that's a reference to the golden calf incident, of course, at the foot of Mount Sinai. 
they go back, regress, and start worshiping the false gods of Egypt. Apis, the bull god. That's true in more ways than one. It's a bunch of bull. And this is one of the gods the Egyptians worship. It's like they're saying, you know, maybe Egypt wasn't that bad. We don't know where this fellow Moses is. He's been up on the mountain for a long time. He's probably camping, just chilling out, relaxing. Where is he? He's left us. Uh, this God of Israel, maybe he's not so powerful after all. Let's go back, in a sense, metaphorically to Egypt. Bad idea. Bad idea. And, and all of this stuff that Paul is condemning here, not only do the Gentiles do stuff like this, worship human beings or, or false gods in the image of human beings, animals, reptiles. Well, guess what? The people of God did all of that stuff as well. Ezekiel 16, verse 17 says, you also took your fair jewels of my gold and of my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourself images of men, and with them played the harlot. So even Israel made statues of human beings and worshipped them. What about beasts? Well, people of God did that too. Leviticus 17, verse 7, they shall no more slay their sacrifices for satyrs after whom they play the harlot. This shall be a statute forever to them throughout their generation. So again, this worship of beasts, the satyr. 2 Kings 18, verse 4. Yeah, the Israelites even at times worshipped reptiles, just like the pagans. 2 Kings 18, verse 4. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days... The sons of Israel had burned incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. So that's that's incredible. The, the, the bronze serpent that Moses made lifted up on the pole when the Israelites were bitten by the snakes in, in the wilderness. They looked at this and they were healed. The Israelites eventually worshipped that, that bronze snake itself instead of the living God. So they are guilty of all these things just as well as the pagans are. So more on this in the, in the next chapter. So essentially Israel... Sorry, the, the pagans are rejecting the naturally revealed divine law. Paul is going to explain that the Jews are also not being obedient to the supernatural, supernaturally given God. So believer and unbeliever alike are guilty. So like I said in the beginning, this also leads to immorality, which we're going to see right now. You're listening to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio. I'm your host, Cale Clark. We're looking at Paul's letter to the Romans. All right, now let's look at verses uh, 24 to 32 of chapter 1. It says, therefore. So again, this is, this is you have to know what came before when he says, therefore. This is the idolatry. It's the rejection of the true God. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen okay, let's just stop just there for a second when when saint paul says god gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity a couple things i want you to note one of the and theologians talk about this a lot one of the things that can happen is that we think of the punishment of god and the fires of hell and all eternity and all that stuff but there, there is another way that we can be punished for for sin we, we're always doing this to ourselves by the way whenever we turn away from god and we live in a way that we're, we're breaking the commandments it, it's been often said and it's kind of a cheesy preacher's line but it's true 
you can't break the commandments. You can only break yourself against them. This is the way reality actually works. And if you don't adhere to it, you're going to get hurt. You can't think you're Superman and jump off a building. There's something called the law of gravity. There's, there are also the laws of morality, which are in effect whether we like it or not. And so this idea of impurity, um, I remember, I always remember this line from a movie called Vanilla Sky starring Tom Cruise and, and Cameron Diaz. And, and she says to the, the character played by Tom Cruise, when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not. And, and this is exactly what St. Paul is talking about here. He's talking about sexual impurity, sexual immorality. This word impurity refers to uh, heterosexual sin. He's going to talk about homosexual acts in, in just a moment. But he's talking about fornication, premarital sex. He's talking about adultery. He's talking about those types of things right now. The dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. They exchange the truth about God for a lie. And ultimately, this is worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And then he goes, he says in, in verse 26, he says, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And this is where he starts talking about homosexual activity. Now, the heterosexual sins are still mortal sins as well. No question about it. Not trying to minimize that at all. The... The caveat there, sort of the, I was going to say the saving grace, it's not really a saving grace, but at least the heterosexual sinfulness is still uh, in accord with the natural law of men and women. Their bodies are made for one another. And this is, again, something that people should be able to deduce through the natural law and through right reason that, and say, John Paul II talked about this in his Theology of the Body. We can see just by observing nature that men and women were created for one another. A man's body doesn't make a whole lot of sense by itself, and nor does a woman's body, but together. Ah, oh, okay, I get it. They form one complete reproductive unit. Anyways, I, I don't want to give you a grade A biology class, but uh, let's move on to the next thing that happens in verse 26. Paul writes, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And this is the other thing I wanted to mention, that God respects our freedom even when we use our freedom badly and this idea of god giving people up he gives them up in the lust of their hearts to whatever he, he gives them up to dishonorable passions it's basically he's letting you go your own way and you're reaping what you sow here the consequences of your actions and that in itself uh is, is it's a punishment unto itself because you're not living in accord with reality and there will there is a price to be paid Anyways, let's continue on here in verse uh, 26 of, of Romans 1. He says, Their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in their own persons the due penalty for their error. So this is one of many pas uh, passages in, in, the, in the Bible, Old and New Testament, that mention uh, homosexual acts, activity. And the, when, he, when he says here, they received in their own persons the due penalty for their error, uh, he's not talking about any kind of physical consequences or sexually transmitted diseases, that sort of thing. That's not what he's talking about here. He is talking about the, the penalty of breaking your relationship with God, not being in the state of grace. And that, that's... That's what's on St. Paul's mind here. He's not, he's not acting as a physician here. 
uh, he's acting as a spiritual counselor, that the physical uh, sinfulness is leading to a spiritual break in, in the relationship. That's the main point that he's trying to make there. All throughout scripture, uh, homosexual activity is condemned as mortally sinful. Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Uh, Leviticus 20.13, you could read as well. In the book of Wisdom, chapter 14, verses 26 and 27, it says confusion over what is good, forgetfulness of favors, pollution of souls, sexual perversion, disorder in marriage, adultery and debauchery for the worship of idols not to be named is the beginning and cause and end of every evil. So again, the Book of Wisdom makes very clear what St. Paul is saying in Romans 1, that idolatry eventually leads to immorality. There are also a number of New Testament passages as well that talk about this. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the immoral, and, and of course he's meaning uh, with that word uh, heterosexual sins, neither the immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, uh, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says, now remember he's writing to the church here. He says in the very next line, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. In other words, a lot of you in the Corinthian church used to live that way. And that was probably true uh, all throughout the empire. There's been a, a big push um, in recent times to try to say, well, well the Bible really is, is not against this type of activity. It's become very acceptable, of course, in, in the modern culture. One thing that St. Paul does does not do here is uh, he doesn't get into what the Catechism says. And the Catechism actually adds this, this other layer about inclinations and how the Catechism makes very clear that you are not your deeds. There's a, there's a differentiation you have to make between the sin itself and the person. And so uh, some people have tendencies towards or what they call SSA or same-sex attraction that in itself is not sinful, although it is an, an element of this disordered world in which we live. It ought not to be this way. But it's only sinful, the church says, if someone acts on it. And that would mean engaging in lust or actually going ahead and fulfilling that lust and engaging in the deeds themselves. Here's what the Catechism says in paragraph 2357 through paragraph 2359. It says, homosexuality refers to relations between men or between women who experience an exclusive or predominant sexual attraction towards persons of the same sex. It has taken a great variety of forms throughout the centuries and in different cultures. Its psychological genesis remains largely unexplained, basing itself on sacred scripture, which presents homosexual acts as acts of grave, de grave depravity. Tradition has always declared that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. They are contrary to the natural law. They close the sexual act to the gift of life, they do not proceed from a genuine, effective, and sexual complementarity. Under no circumstances can they be approved. The Catechism then goes on to say, and you can read it in the next couple paragraphs, that any unjust discrimination shown to people who have these tendencies uh, should be avoided. And so we have to separate the person from the act. The church can never agree with the acts themselves. They're always immoral. And we help people and pray for people who are struggling 
with same-sex attraction. And as the scriptures say, and as the catechism echoes, they're called to purity. And so we need to accompany them uh, with prayer and friendship uh, on their journey as they seek to fulfill the will of God in this area, as we all have to do um, at all times. Thanks for joining me on The Faith Explained. We're going to continue on with more on Romans in the next episode. I hope you'll join us. And if you missed an episode, check the podcast on the relevant radio app. God bless you. This is Kale Clark. We'll talk to you in the next one. Peace.